Well, welcome back to the Walk as Jesus Walk podcast series. And in today's message, we'll focus on what it means to live by faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. But what does it really mean to walk by faith? Well, to answer this question, we don't have to look any further than the examples that were given to us from Jesus and his life and from the lives of those who were commended by God for their faith. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus said, you know, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. We could stop right there. That is faith, is not worrying about your life. But we need a deeper understanding in order for us to be able to spiritually apply that to our lives. This is where Jesus said it. He says, do not worry about your life. And he goes on to say what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was adorned like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So now he equates worrying to a lack of faith. Oh, you of little faith. And then he goes on, he says, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, the non-believers, they strive after these things. This is the way of the world. Isn't that how our own lives were before we came to know Christ? And for those of you who have not come to know Christ, is this not how your life is? That you strive after these things. And yet, for those of us who are in Christ, your Heavenly Father knows you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek to go and get a loan from the bank or borrow from a friend or find some scheme of how you're going to come up with your needs. The Heavenly Father knows your needs. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So seeking the kingdom and his righteousness is our first step when we're applying faith. And all these things, Jesus said, that you need will be added to you. You'll have them. Therefore, Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Today, the day that you're in, has enough trouble of its own. So worry about that. Now, most of you know uh, that Jesus was out and he was sleeping in a boat in a terrifying storm. Now, I say a terrifying storm because he was with his disciples, who most of them were fishermen by trade, and they seemed to be very threatened. Their lives were being threatened by this storm. It was a squall. It was maybe the worst storm they've ever seen. And so here's Jesus sleeping in the boat, and they have to go wake him up. 
Lord, Lord, we're going to die. All of us are going to die. Jesus, who created all things, all things were created through him, can control all of everything, anything. He stands up and with a word calms the storm. And then he turns to his disciples and he said, where is your faith? Now, Jesus was right there with them. He was sleeping in the boat, yes, but they felt that their lives were threatened and they worried. Now, how many people today who claim to have faith, once finding themselves in some form of life-threatening experience, would act any differently than the disciples did? Yet by faith, we truly have nothing to worry about in this world. Jesus said so. And if we place our complete faith in Christ, then we don't have any worry. That's why Jesus asked his disciples about their faith. Now, in Luke chapter 7, we read that when Jesus was going to Capernaum, a highly valued servant of a centurion was sick and about to die. So when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to ask uh, Jesus to come and heal the servant. Well, they came to Jesus and they pleaded with him earnestly. This man is worthy to have you grant this, for he loves our nation. He loves the Jews, the Israelites, and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent other friends, friends with a message, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. But if you just say the word, don't come into my home because I'm unworthy. But if you just say the word, then my servant will be healed. Wow. For he said, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one to go and he goes and another to come and he comes. I tell my servant to do something and he does it. Well, Jesus, he said, wow. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. He marveled at the centurion. Then he turned to the crowd. Of course, there was always a crowd following Jesus wherever he went. And he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when the messengers returned to the house, well, they found the servant in good health. Wow. I have not found such great faith even in Israel, anywhere. And here, a heathen, a non-believer, but yet a true believer, because by faith, he knew there was nothing beyond anything that Jesus could do. And he said, if you just say the word, I know deep down in my heart that my servant will be healed. Wow. Now we think we have to follow all these rules to become his servant. This man had faith and he sought it from the Lord and he was recognized by Jesus. Now in Matthew 14, verses 30 through 31, it tells us how Jesus, when he was walking on the water, he called Peter out to join him upon Peter's request. Peter said, oh my gosh, now imagine this picture. 
you're in a boat and you see this this boat-like creature walking on water, which is not possible, coming closer and closer to the boat, and they thought it was a ghost. And then they saw and recognized that it was Jesus, and they were just completely overwhelmed. Wow, how is this possible that he's walking on the sea? And Peter caught up in the moment. He said, Lord, Lord, call me out there so that I can walk with you. And upon his request, Jesus called him out. And Peter started walking on the water. Now, when Peter saw the strength of the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he took hold of Peter. And he said to Peter, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Now, those two things are synonymous. You of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, doubt is any form of doubt dissolves faith. It's what causes worry. It's what causes us to no longer believe. Now, when I use that word believe, I don't use it lightly. I mean applying faith. And so many people have lived by faith, and we're going to give some examples here in a moment. But yet, how many people claim to have faith and don't apply it? I'm sure this same question is one that the Lord could ask so many people around the world who claim to trust in him. Yet continuously let the worries of this world overwhelm them. Now, in Hebrews 11, I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but I recommend you go and you look at it. If you want to know more of examples of faith, it paints such a rich illustration of what faith is in God's eyes, what he commands. So in one place it says, now faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. Wow. Assurance means I'm sure of it. Certainty means there's no doubt. There's no doubt. I'm absolutely certain. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for whatever it is that we are applying our faith towards, our needs, somebody in prayer, whatever the case might be, that we're coming to the Lord and we are seeking him by faith to grant a prayer request, to make something happen if it's according to his will or purpose. And we know we have the assurance for our hope, the certainty of what we don't see. Because we don't know what the end's going to look like, but we seek him to make that end a, a blessing. Well, this is why the ancients were commended. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Wow. God just spoke it into existence. We should never doubt that God could not speak anything into existence that's aligned with his will, purpose. And this includes everything. Money, 
provisions, miracles, whatever the case might be. Nothing's beyond God. But we must have faith without doubting, with certainty that God will make this happen according to his will, according to his plan. In Romans, there's another illustration, it's beautifully done, uh, that Paul was writing in Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope, we were saved. This is something out of faith. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. If you can see it, then it's not hope. It's not by faith. Who hopes for what he can already see? It's like opening your wallet and having a dollar and saying, oh, yes, I know I have this dollar if I ever need it. Now, faith is hoping for something that you don't have or can't see. So it says, but if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it patiently, according to God's time and according to his will. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did, because he did it out of the faith of his heart, where Cain did it dutifully. I have to do something to please God, because otherwise he'll be mad at me. Abel wanted so badly to please God by faith that he gave him his very best. By faith he was commended as righteous when God gave approval to his gifts. And by faith he still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith Enoch, who walked with God and was no more, was taken up so that he did not see death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so you have to flee from doubt. Doubts can't be part of the picture. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who approaches him must believe. That means have total faith that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, years later was going to happen, in godly fear, he feared God, the reverence that he had, and his faith, he built an ark to save his family. And by faith, he, com he condemned the whole world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Follow his lead. When God puts it on your heart to do something, well, where's the provisions going to come from, Lord? We shouldn't be asking that question. We should say, yes, Lord, I trust totally by faith. If you want me to do this, you got this. And we go and set forth and watch it happen. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. So he didn't immediately get this. He was just told, go there and you'll get this. Ooh. And without knowing where he was going, he was just traveling by faith, blindly following God's will. By faith, he dwelt 
in the promised land as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were those were his heirs, with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to what? The city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God, not man. God who can build anything out of nothing. All these people died in faith without having received the things that they were promised, in fact. However, they saw them and welcomed them from afar. I believe, I trust with all of my heart, with certainty. And they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I don't belong here. Now, those who say such things show that they're seeking a country of their own beyond the one that they were born into. Much like us, we were born into this world, but we're seeking a heavenly kingdom beyond this world. And so if they had been thinking of the country that they left, well, they they had opportunity to return to it. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac on the altar, his only son, his heir, the son that God promised. He who had received the promises was ready to offer his one and only son, even though God had said to him, through Isaac, your offspring will be reckoned. Oh, wait, wait, you're asking me to kill my son, sacrifice him. But God, I have to trust by faith. You know what you're doing. Abraham actually reasoned that God could raise the dead. And in a sense, he did receive Isaac back from the dead because God stopped his hand and didn't let Abraham sacrifice his son, but gave him a ram as a sacrifice. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. And he was wealthy. He was, you know, maybe possibly Pharaoh material, but he refused to call himself the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to suffer oppression with God's people rather than to experience the fleeting enjoyment of sin. How many people today claim to know Christ, but they're not willing to suffer the oppression of God's own called people? They would rather experience the fleeting enjoyment of sin and find some other way that they can call themselves God's people. We find this institutionalized all around the world, but let's not by faith. Now, Moses valued disgrace for Christ above the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible, meaning God. We trust by faith in something we don't see, but yet we see in everything he does. And what more shall I say? Time will not allow me to tell of the many others who through faith conquered kingdoms, 
administered justice and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the raging fire, and escaped the edge of the sword. Gained strength from weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. These were all commended for their faith. Yet they did not receive what was promised. God had planned something better for us, so that together with us, they would be made perfect. Faith is not just believing. It is committing your heart to something as though your life depended on it. For instance, if someone says it's going to rain today, because they really believe it's going to rain. They watch the weather. They feel it in their bones. It's going to rain today. They really believe it's going to. What if they're challenged with having to bet their life on it? That if it doesn't rain, they'll be put to death. Now, are they willing to commit to their conviction that it's going to rain? Or will doubts cause them maybe to back away from their one-time belief? I tell you what, most people will not blindly commit to their convictions if it threatens their livelihood. And this is the difference between those who are commended for their faith and those who doubted and cowered from their faith. However, is this whole thing about faith not what we must do to truly follow Jesus? Those who simply believe will possibly and maybe probably opt out because they don't wish to lose their life in this world. However, for those who truly have faith, it's not even a question. They'll surrender their lives in this world because they know that God's will for their lives is what will prevail in the end. If he wants me to live, I will live. If it's my time to go, it will happen. This is why Peter doubted on the sea. He thought, oh no, I'm going to die. And this is why Jesus said, why did you doubt? Jesus said in Matthew 16, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will repay each one according to what he has done. They will be judged according to their faith. Finally, Romans 10 tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And we know good news is the gospel. Good news is what Christ can give in our lives if we choose to live by faith. Not if we choose to religiously follow some rules and, and guidelines and precepts that pulpit preachers are telling you that you need to do, or doctrines are saying, or what so many people have 
made up that this is the way you live. Jesus said you will live by faith. So listen to my good news. I offer you eternal life, but it won't be an easy route and you will have to persevere to the end. Maybe even losing your life for my name's sake. But not all of them welcome the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed, which means placed their faith in, our message. Consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, don't confuse the word of Christ with the Bible. Far too many make this mistake, and they do so because they really don't understand what they're saying. This refers to all the words that Jesus had spoken prior to his death and resurrection and all that he continues to speak through his true disciples who are serving his kingdom. That is the word and the power that comes from heaven. Those are the words of Christ. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So these are the words of life and the power of God that I'm talking about. It's those words of Christ. Romans 1.16 reads, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that word means unadulterated faith, willing to die for, meaning no doubt, certainty, first to the Jew and then to the Greek, meaning all of mankind. Thus, in closing, those who are in Christ must live by faith. Far too many who claim to know Jesus, they place their so-called faith and hope in what they can see or what they understand. Well, this is not faith. And those who continue to choose to live this way, well, they're not following Jesus. Instead, they're following something else. But we must live by faith, not doubting, trusting that God is capable of doing anything and everything, and that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all of our needs for everything will be provided. And by doing so, we will be walking more closely to how Jesus walked.